Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Edge Podcast. I am your host, Leslie Vickery, CEO and founder of Clear Edge Marketing. For those of you new to the Edge, we feature executive women in the recruitment industry in an effort to shine the light on the wonderful women leading our industry forward and for up and comers. If they can see it, women in executive roles and understand the day in the life of the C-suite, they can certainly envision and be it. For today's episode, it brings me great pleasure to welcome Nicole McMacken, CEO, Irvine Technology Corporation. Nicole, I have to brag on you for a minute. You recently received the top female leader in LA from the Los Angeles Times B2B, and you received the Outstanding Award for Leadership by Women in Technology Hollywood. You have received several other nominations and accolades during the course of your career. And I have to tell you, it is such an honor to have you with us today. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm excited to have some questions answered and be on your program. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to tell your story. But before we dive into your background, would you mind telling listeners a little bit about Irvine Technology Corporation? Sure. Irvine Technology Corporation is headquartered in Irvine, California, and we are a national provider. We're women-owned and WeBank certified. We do also hold a certification for a small business association, and we have a DEI practice. So majority of what we do is we focus on finding for our clientele diverse candidates underrepresented minority and and women to place in the technology field at our clients across the country. Oh, thank you. Well, I am thrilled that we were connected and can't wait to kind of educate everyone, not only on your company and all of the success that your company has had, but also, Nicole, really your story. And as I mentioned earlier, our podcast is dedicated to executive women in the recruitment industry. And we really believe by hearing the journeys of those who have made it to the C-suite, it will inspire the rising stars. And I say this all the time, if they can see it, they can be it. That said, Nicole, people say this to me all the time too. We often only see the CEO and who they are in that moment. So when I met you, I got to learn all about your background and your wonderful company and your accolades and so forth. But certainly there was a road or journey that you took to get there. And that's what people often don't see. So I'd love for you to share with us today, what did your journey look like? And what were perhaps some of the pivotal moments that led to where you are today? Oh, thank you. Yes. So I was a political science major and growing up, I grew up in a middle-class family in Chatsworth, California. So I don't know if your listeners have ever heard of the show or the movie, I'm sorry, Valley Girl, but I grew up in the Valley and I was really focused at a young age on becoming a litigator and representing women and women's rights. And I grew up in an ethnic family. Again, I mentioned we were middle class and we had a very, very strong work ethic. So I cannot remember not working outside of school. And so I held a multitude of jobs. Uh, Later in life, my mother owned a private school and a summer program. So I used to work in high school at her programs. And then I would work at an attorney's office from four until almost 11 p.m. at night. And it was a female attorney's office and there were just females who were lawyers within that practice. A tiny bit of information that I left out was that when I was at Chatsworth High School, 
I met a boy and uh, he was my boyfriend and um, we stayed together from high school when we were 16 years old through college. And the reason that I mentioned that is because when I had gotten accepted to law school at Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington, my boyfriend at the time had graduated and he had asked me to marry him. And so my whole life in front of me, you know, visualization of, of being an attorney. And I, of course, said yes. And I presented that to my parents and, and to their dismay, you know, at 22 years old, they were not too pleased. And so uh, they said, well, we will pay for a wedding or we'll pay for law school, of course, trying to discourage me from getting married at a young age, but we will not pay for both. And to their astonishment, I said, okay, I will get married. And so that left me staying in the family business, which was at the time my parents had bought more schools and, you know, really derailing my life's dream of becoming an attorney because of the lack of money to be able to do so. And um, I worked with my family business for a couple more years after Reed and I had gotten married and I was commuting from South Orange County to Ventura County. And we had purchased our first home even farther than South. And I knew I couldn't withstand the drive. And so I found myself without my JD and really without my master's degree or any postdoctorate degree and thinking to myself, what am I going to do? And I did not even know what a staffing firm was until a good friend of mine had mentioned you should go to a staffing firm and they will help you find a job. And so I remember walking into Robert Half Technologies and interviewing there and, and kind of sharing my story. And they had said, well, we want you to come and work for us. You can be a sales representative. And I kind of laughed and I said to them, I said, well, my majority of my experience has been hands-on at that point in time at a young age. I was a director level working at my family business and I was doing a lot of human resources type as well. And they said, well, you're a salesperson and you just don't know it. And so I went ahead and I took the liberty to interview with a couple of more firms. One was a small niche company called Abigail Abbott, and they had a lot of different verticals within the staffing industry. And I decided to take a chance and move over there. There. And I thought at the time it would be really great. And within six months, I became their top sales rep, which was astounding to me. But I really enjoyed the work. And it was starting around the dot com boom. And I gravitated towards the technology vertical within that. And I remember there was a company, and many of your listeners may know this some time ago, it was called buy.com. And they had just opened. And I remember they were so hip and they had people roller skating through their offices and the technology that they had was really outstanding for that, that place and time. And I remember being able to go and meet with them and understand their different technologies that they were utilizing. And so then I just started really focusing on the technology vertical and, and got recruited and worked for another large staffing company, but kicked off Advecta, which was their technology division and did very, very well and began climbing the corporate ladder there and uh, had my first child and then got a phenomenal offer to come over to Irvine Technology Corporation, where I am today, and at the age of 29, to take over their company and 
begin running it from ground up. They had about $1.3 million at the time that they were doing in staffing revenue. So it was, it was a very small, small company. And they had a couple of partners that were really silent partners at the time. And we went from 1.3 million to close to 60 million in three years. And it was a huge growth and fun accolades. Uh, you know, we're on the Fortune 5000 fastest growing company list. And uh, soon after, you know, the 2008 crisis had hit. And, um, you know, obviously some mistakes in, in how I was running the company um, were made. We were heavily vested in the mortgage industry at that point in time. And even though we were trying to diversify, it was really, really tough to be able to get away from that with, with our current staff and clients and things. And so, as you can imagine, when the 2008 crisis hit our company, within two months, we lost over $40 million in revenue. And so, you know, learning lesson there was really in, in your business. And when you are looking at clientele, making sure that you have a really strong diversification of clients. So that was a good learning lesson that I that I took out of there. But just, you know, really understanding that how to start back up and and with as many of your followers probably and listeners know is the staffing industry, right? You have these ebb and flows and they roll with the economy. So, you know, now I know we're projected to be going into an, yet another recession. Let's cross our fingers and hope that that doesn't happen. But just being prepared at each turn, I think were some of the good lessons that I've learned in, in my history from being with Irvine Technology Corporation. Nicole, it's amazing to think about Everything you mentioned when you first started talking about your path to CEO, and then you said, by the age of 29, I took over running the company, and I thought, oh my gosh, everything you accomplished before the age of 29 is truly incredible and speaks to the drive that you that you have, and it also shows to the listeners, again, validates what we often hear, you know, coming out of college or however you're entering into your career path path, people think I go from here to here to here, and it's a straight linear path. But the reality of it is, for a lot of us, myself included, it just isn't. It's not the reality of life. You kind of move around and do different things and think you may start out as a litigator or you and I have something in common with political science. I studied that as well with journalism. I wanted to be a political commentator and or work with politicians on their PR. I am definitely not doing that today. So it's important for people to hear, you know, how you got to where you are. I can imagine from the age of 29, taking over the company, you mentioned 1.3 million in revenue to where you are today, the challenges that we all deal with, it's just part of life and business. But oftentimes, and you touched on this a little bit, our biggest trials can often lead to our most valuable triumphs. And at a personal level, we've all experienced how essential it is to be able to rise up in the face of adversity. Adversity could be economic downturns. It could be things that you, know, you mentioned, my gosh, losing a huge client and being part of a specific industry that was hit heavily. You know, we're faced with these things and you have options, right? You can either face that adversity and rise up or not. And clearly you have chosen to rise up. So perhaps just to get specific from the time you took over to where you are today, you could share any adversities you had to overcome while rising to CEO. It could be personally that impact performance 
professionally or, or vice versa, whatever stories you have to share. Yeah, no, thank you. And I would say there's been challenges and adversities that each of us have overcome. If we look from a personal perspective, from a business perspective, some of them overlap from one to the other. One of the largest adversities that I have faced at a young age, as you can imagine, in a business setting, technology in particular, right, for many, many years, and and to include now, is mostly made up by men. And one of the largest challenges that that I dealt with and, and, and really focused as an insecurity of mine was that I was not taken seriously as a business leader because I was a woman. You can't see me, but I'm blonde as well. So that was a challenge that I continuously, even in up until a few years ago, had some challenges with. Our company was hired by a publicly traded finance company to do some discovery work for them. And the CEO and president, seeing my background, had thought and knowing me from the work that we had done, thought it would be a really good idea for me to come aboard on a monthly basis and run what we later deemed the executive steering committee meeting that would essentially bring their business leaders as well as their technology leaders together on a monthly basis to be able to facilitate open dialogue and discussion to be able to move projects forward. And I recall my first day, and this is four years ago, going in and we met in a boardroom and there were 13 leaders there and not one of them was a woman. And I had sat down and I had gone through what we were going to be focused on and what we were doing. And we kind of started what we would call like an ad hoc meeting right then and there. And at the end of the meeting, two gentlemen had approached me and they had said, wow, Nicole, they said, that was really, really great. We were not expecting that. They said, that was great. And, you know, we're looking forward to working with you. And I had a big smile on my face and I said, well, my goodness. I said, I don't know if I should thank you or be offended. And they said, no, 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 no. They said, no, we didn't mean it in that way. And I said, listen, I'm the only woman in this room. And my entire goal by the end of these 12 months together, I said, is for you to see a woman, a blonde woman, walk in the room and not think any differently that they are technically savvy, that they are professional, that they know how to present. And we are still very good friends today, but I see these things as often and as early as, you know, four years ago as well. So I would say one of my largest adversities on a business front was overcoming the stigma that um, I'm a woman, that I'm technical, that I understand and I can run a business. So that would be one of them. Another challenge that I had um, personally was that my daughter at a very young age was diagnosed with a severe blood blood disorder and, and consequently had uh, brain surgery as well. And so still to this day, we're actually dealing with it. And she's 17 years old, just to give your listeners a good understanding. We're still dealing with that today with her blood disorder and things. So that creeps into business as well, as you can imagine. Well, it's, you know, one thing for people to be able to see that you are a real 
leader and a real person and human. I think sometimes people put CEOs and other leaders on these pedestals. And at the end of the day, you know, you're a mom with a sick daughter who is also a CEO and several other roles that you play in your life. And by the way, fighting for women's rights. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, really pushing for that. So I commend you on being able to find a way people can learn from what you're doing and your experiences, you know, not that we wish anything on anyone or their families, but to see how you deal with it and learn from you, I'm sure helps others just see you as a real person and human. And I have to say, I want to really commend you on your see it, say it moment in the boardroom and working with the male executives when you're the only female in the room. It is really difficult when you hear microaggressions in those moments sometimes to use our voice in that moment as a way to also help educate our male allies who, you know, he may have said that and not even realized that nobody was saying and how it would maybe make you feel, but just saying that openly and and helping educate men or anyone when they're saying something that could be a microaggression is so important. I talk about that a lot, just those see it, say it moments are really critical to making change. Thank you. So Nicole, risk-taking, it's not for everyone. And <laughs> I have to say it, and a lot of times it's like, you know, you take risks in different ways. It's personally, professionally, and, and doing different things and growing your business sometimes and extending into other areas and, and lines of business and so forth. It can be, um, you know, some of the things that keeps us up at night, being a CEO, being an entrepreneur, all of those things aren't for everyone. But perhaps you could... Tell us about some of the risks that really helped you get to where you are today and perhaps how others could find their spark to follow in your footsteps a little bit. Sure. I think that the challenge that women have is a a gender that I've experienced, obviously, and I've met many women through some classes that I've run that have challenges around this is saying yes. And typically our gender, for the most part, I would say, is very analytical. And so when we're given an opportunity, we want to ponder the opportunity, analyze, weigh the pros, weigh the cons. Whereas you see oftentimes our male counterparts, they will say yes, and they will go and they will figure out the answers later. And for myself, I often get scared like and fearful like many other other people and but i've at a young age made a deal with myself that i will never hold myself back out of fear and i will always say yes and be able to come back if needed and say great i'm going to figure this out i'm going to do it but i will figure it out and i will get you back some information but i never wanted to be a person that had regrets. And the worst thing that I could do was to say no before investigating or miss out on a timeline or an opportunity to do something, be somewhere, be someone. And so I really pushed myself through taking risks. And those have included, I was very afraid of heights and flying for a long time. And I worked around that through my fears getting on airplanes, not oftentimes people take medications. I 
never took medications. And a couple of years ago, I jumped out of an airplane. And so I really push myself to do things that make me uncomfortable, more so with my team as well. I tell them, if you are not making yourself uncomfortable by picking up a phone and calling someone, or if you're not making yourself uncomfortable by doing something different than what you routinely do, you are not growing and allowing your chances to grow as a person on a day-to-day basis. And so if you were to ask my team, you know, what is something that Nicole says often? It's do not lead with fear. And secondly, make yourself uncomfortable every day. And so those are some things that I do to help myself and, you know, kind of push our team to challenge their inner persons as well. Thank you for that, Nicole. And I love how you actually related the risk-taking and the fear piece of it together. And my husband actually has a tattoo on his arm. It says, the only risk you'll ever regret is the one you didn't take. It's really just a reminder as a person and an entrepreneur not to let the fear of what you're about to do overcome the joy of the outcome. That was something I remember hearing Dolly Parton talk about as well. And we'll have to chat offline because I'm petrified of jumping out of a plane and would love to talk to you about how you overcame that fear. And again, I I often have this podcast between, I believe it was Brene Brown and Dolly Parton, where she just said, don't let the fear of the you know end result or the outcome get in your way of doing something. And I envision being you know on the ground, happy, excited, elated in the air, loving it, but that ride up and like, oh gosh, I don't know if I could do that. So (laughs) maybe I'll, I'll be inspired by your ability to overcome that. I definitely would love to talk to you about it. I I probably have some good tips. And what was funny was uh, I didn't tell anybody and my husband knew, but that was it because I didn't want all the, you know, people making comments. I knew that would interfere. And so when I landed on the ground, I, you know, I was in the, the gear and I just had someone take a picture of me with the thumbs up and I posted it and I just said, made it. So yeah, it was, it was a good breakthrough for me. So I'm happy to talk with you about it. Well, Nicole, you know, I co-founded a women in technology group called ARA. It stands for Attract, Retain, and Advance Women in Technology. And I have to tell you, I was so inspired by your mission to advance more women in IT and your actual CIO certification program. So not only just through programs and events and so forth that I've been part of for so many years, I loved reading and learning more about this certification program and that you are really focused on that advancement piece. So why did you start it? And share with us a little bit about the impact and results to date. Sure. So funny enough, the story that I just told you that happened at the financial company was really what drove me to start it. And I thought to myself, technology has changed and the role of the CIO has changed in the last seven years so greatly. And if I look around, and it wasn't just here in Southern California because we're a national company. So whoever I would meet with, we just never saw enough women at the executive level. And that one instance ended up having me start 
this whole grassroots program. And I had met with a gentleman the next day who was a CIO and who was a professor for a long time in India. And I was telling him about this kind of funny, not funny story that happened. And we began talking over lunch and it was about a two and a half hour lunch, but we couldn't stop ourselves. And we were talking about, you know, what's going on in IT right now. Why are there so few women leaders within the technology space being that the role of the CIO has changed so dramatically from one where you had a CIO who knew all the technologies and really was very hands-on technically to now move forward where you have that CIO. I like to say where it's the tail wagging the dog, right? Where you used to have a board or executives tell IT and dictate to them, hey, this is where the business is going and we need you to build technology to suit and to get us to where we need to go, where now it's really the tail wagging the dog where the CIO and his team are coming forward with thoughtful ideas around being a disruptive company in different markets, leading edge technology that'll push corporations through to the forefront, those types of things. And because there's too many technologies out there, not one individual can be 100% conversant in each of them. So what that has done is it's created a leader who's almost, if you look at it, a project manager managing a bunch of other individuals who are specialists, SMEs within specific areas. And if you look at historically where women excel And where they come up through technology, it's traditionally through project management, business analysts, and application development. And all of those verticals lead them to really nicely fitting in within the role of the CIO. And so with that, we still aren't seeing a lot of women. And so this conversation that I was having with a fellow CIO really led itself into me walking away from that meeting and saying, I'm going to do some exploratory work and I'm going to have a better understanding and answer when I come back as to why that is and a potential solution on how we can solve this. And so from that meeting, I spent four months doing surveys, interviewing customers, some of our placements that we've had that were female executives, listening to TED Talks, meeting with authors, doing a lot of work. And what I finally came to was that it's really a lack of confidence. And and let me give you just a quick example. So let's say a woman is presented with a job description for a job. And let's arbitrarily say there are 100 items on that description. And she will look at those 100 items and, and say, okay, I have 95 of the 100. I'm not going to apply for the job. I feel like I need to be more conversant and get this certification or do this or do that. A man will look at the job description and he'll arbitrarily say, wow, I have 64 of the 100, I'm perfect, I'm going for it. And so you really see this distinction between women and men and their lack of confidence. And so I started this program, I reached out to 15 fellow CIOs and I explained to them my work and I explained to them what I was 
wanting to do. And I said, if we could help one woman and we could put a class together, a free class, which will always be free because I don't want to have any barriers for entry. And we'll have managers in IT and above. And our goal is to have them elevate their career and their current client, or if they needed and wanted to see an opportunity outside that they feel so inclined and confident that they would move themselves and apply. And so we did just that. We had 15 CIOs. I had 15 women that I found that were managers and directors and VPs. And we kind of did a beta test and we kicked it off in my office. And we did that on a Tuesday evening for 15 weeks for three hours in the evenings, as I mentioned. And we had CIOs come in and very down to earth, talk to them about different pillars of what it means to be a CIO from the role of the CIO, the the women's version, the man's version, from presenting to the board, from negotiation. It's really interesting that only 17% of women in IT negotiate for themselves compared to 86.2% of men. And, you know, teaching those skills, women tend to negotiate for their teams they negotiate for their budgets, but they, when it comes to negotiating for themselves, they feel uncomfortable in doing so. So we have all these different pillars that you go through to not only be a CIO, but when you're in that role to be successful. And then at the end of the 15 weeks, I paired them with a CIO mentor for a year that they would meet with monthly. And it was a huge success. Around the sixth, seventh week, we saw women percolating up and bubbling themselves up to different roles within their own organizations, negotiating for higher level salaries to their peers within the the same division. And I got a call from UCLA and they had said, hey, we've heard about this program and you were recommended and we'd love for you to drive up and learn more. And one thing led to another and we hosted our our next jointly with UCLA, our, our next course for 45 women and then moved over to UCSD and found a really wonderful cadence. And more importantly, we saw the same things happening at all of the courses. Within the sixth to seventh week, we saw this percolation of confidence and negotiation skills and taking additional jobs on within their corporations or even exiting and going and taking on roles as CIOs. And then COVID hit, unfortunately, and we had a recess because we couldn't be on campus at the universities, as you're aware, I'm sure. And then we decided, heck, because there was such a demand, let's take it virtually and allow other women from across the United States to be part of this, as well as CIOs. And it's flourished. The program has has been wonderful. We've seen the same metrics that we have seen um, when we were in person. And actually, we're starting our next cohort on September 13th, as a matter of fact. But we don't take as many women in the cohorts and as we did when we were in person. So we take about 20 to 22 now, and we offer it two times a year. Nicole, more people need to hear about this program. It is truly incredible. And as you were talking about all of the challenges and issues women often face kind of on their journey, their professional journey, so many resonated with me and are things that we've heard over the years with Ara. And I just 
really respect the fact that you put this program together and are making a difference on getting more women in the CEO role and position and advancing them. We talk often about taking action where there's a lot of events, a lot of talk, a lot of people, you know, making good traction and having the conversations and so forth. But this is a very solid example of, of taking action. So thank you on behalf of those of us in the technology industry for doing that. And I also think it's something people in other industries that are male dominated could learn from and perhaps replicate as well. So kudos and congratulations to you and your team for this program. Thank you. And Leslie, thank you for all that you do as well. So you do quite a bit in putting the podcast together and your organization. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. We've got to be there together to keep rising up those around us. We do. Nicole, we've talked about this and you actually mentioned this a little bit where women are often held back because they don't see in themselves what others see in them. And you touched on confidence, you touched on, you know, we'll negotiate and do things for everyone else, but we don't necessarily do it for ourselves. And I'm going to turn the mirror now on you and ask you because, you know, obviously a very successful CEO and launching programs and lots of awards and accolades, but sometimes even with all of that. Again, I'll just point the mirror to myself. We don't always see in ourselves what people see in us. So perhaps you could share a time in your own life and career when your confidence has wavered or you struggled with imposter syndrome and how you had to overcome your own self-doubt to keep rising. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Uh, I think I suffer from imposter syndrome all the time and it's really difficult for me to make the move to get my mindset in a spot that is not there anymore. And I'll give you a, a clear example. I'm I'm part of a group called Young Presidents Organization. And out of that fear that I talked about, I was the only woman with 45 men to join a group. And this group, we travel together yearly, as well as um, we break into forums and, and you have forum meetings as well on a monthly basis. And then we also have these, these events on a monthly basis. And, and they're all CEOs of fairly large corporations within Orange County. And so you can imagine going into a group and trying to get qualified for membership for a group that is all men and, and no women. And so that was something I was really proud of to be able to break through that. And, and again, pushing through fear and, and anxiety and, and, and self-doubt. But speaking of imposter syndrome, so I often in meetings with them and what we're discussing is, is business issues. And, and they're all for a variety of different businesses. In fact, I'm the only CEO within this group that is from a staffing firm. And I'm quite taken aback because many of these gentlemen are running very large publicly traded companies and, and really just have more of an astute knowledge than what I do in the business world. And some have their MBAs and it makes me feel very intimidated internally. And so when I get up and I speak, I always feel as though I am not good enough or that I don't understand what value they would have from me. And it was very interesting and it, and it continues to be interesting, but um, the self-assurances that I get constantly where most recently we were 
on an international trip and I had to, to get up and do a presentation. And after the meeting, many of the, the men had come up to me and said, you know, we feel that you are probably one of the best members of our group. And in, in what we mean by that is someone that brings the most value. And so I would say to your listeners, just from my personal experiences and self-doubt that I have is that do your best to push that through to the side and move forward and um, into your fear. And it's really interesting what people find value in and, and what they don't. Maybe I am not the most conversant in stock trades and you know, getting into some of the minutiae of the business world, but I do bring value in leadership in how to organize people in running and starting a business really from ground up and all the intricacies that that flow within that. So I, I think my biggest piece of advice would be, you know, to believe that you're valuable, to push through your fear and you will find people for the most, more often than not, that that see value in, in you and what what you're saying and what you're doing. Oh, Nicole, I call it my evil DJ. And it's that same song that keeps playing the song over and over in your head, where it could be any kind of negative self-talk when you're entering in a room and you look around and you don't see anyone who looks like you or is like you, and you just automatically can start self-talking yourself out of something in that moment, before the moment, after the moment, ruminating. It's really important, I have found, to try and find if you can, and sometimes it can take some some deep uh, searching, but to find where it stems from and just shut it down. And it could be anything, you know, it could be something small that someone said to you when you were younger that just sticks in your head. It could be many, many things that are even deeper than that. But the more we can focus and practice on kind of shutting off that evil DJ and focusing on, you know, you do have a seat at that table. You are meant to be there. You know, you have purpose within what you're doing and there's value to what you bring. We have to just keep reminding ourselves of that. I often talk about Amy Cuddy and power posing and uh, someone had shared that with me years ago and I'll find myself doing that sometimes where I have to stand and put my hands on my hips and, you know, just look in the mirror or just look out and remind myself that, you know, you're here for a reason and this is why and to go in and and get it done. And again, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that because not everyone sees that. It's kind of like the first question I asked at the very outset is, you know, we see you as the CEO and leader you are today. We don't always know that journey that it took to get there and or what you're on in that current journey. And it's constantly a work in progress. The other thing I have found, Nicole, which I'd be interested in your thoughts on this too, because there's this big debate on is imposter syndrome real? I definitely struggle with it, but I've also found myself in situations where other people's own lack of confidence have then come across and impacted me. So for example, that microaggression that you mentioned earlier, I I once had someone say to me, you know, I get that you're a CEO, but you don't 
look like a CEO. And I don't think of you that way. And then when you start talking, I get it, you're a CEO. And I'm thinking, okay, is your own confidence issue or your own imposter syndrome now bleeding into me and kind of knocking me down? So it's kind of this debate that it can go both ways, that we have it ourselves, but then really a lot of times it's what other people impose on us. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that is true more often than not, actually. Well, I have to say one of the things, you know, we touched on health a little bit earlier in the conversation, and it's something that I find for myself is really important today for myself and our team is just the focus on health and wellness. Today, more than ever, this seems to be a topic that people are much more open to discussing and talking about and and taking the lead in action and and doing different things. When it comes to, in your life, you have a lot happening with your family, your business, the CIO certification program, and so much more that we haven't even covered. What do you focus on the most when it comes to finding a healthy stride in your own life? And what have you, if anything, implemented as a company to ensure others kind of watch, emulate, and take your lead? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm a strong believer that life is a balancing act. And you'll often hear the question, can you have it all? And some will say no, and some people will say yes. I straddle the middle. I say, yes, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at one time. And so what for myself and for our team, we believe in the holistic person. So all facets of your life need to be connected and balanced. And so there are times where, or days that I am 100% engulfed in the business. And there are other days that I am 100% engulfed in my family life and other days where I may be 20% engulfed in fitness and uh, in eating and doing this. But what I, I try to, to do for myself and for our team is to drive that we are a company that is made up of human beings and we all have different times and thoughts and needs in our lives. And we will do the best we can to create a holistic approach. So all of those needs are met, but they may not be able to be met all in one time or maybe all in one month, but they will be met consistently and just bits and pieces. And I think that gives people a better outlook because I think if someone were to say to me, no, you can't have everything, Nicole, you know, I feel that's unsettling. And then if someone says, yep, you can have it all. And I would think, well, when? Because I don't feel as though I have it all now, right? Because as you know, I'm a working mom. I have an elderly mother as well that I take care of. And it's a juggling act. And sometimes I'm 100% in one area and I could appreciate there that be 100% devoted to that time. And another time like today, we could use that as an instance, it's been one of those days and I am 100% devoted and entrenched in, in our company and in meetings and doing the things. And we all do the best we can, but I guess giving ourselves that latitude and giving ourselves a break in, in thinking that we could have it all and um, being able to get there on our own time. 
I love that. Finding grace in ourselves and yes. giving ourselves permission. It's so important. And it's it's hard. You know, we're probably the hardest on ourselves and we want to be all of those things. And it's hard not to feel guilty when you're not all of those things. And I do believe it's something that I continue to work on, which is just finding grace in those moments when, you know, I'm not the best. I probably struggle most, you know, as a mom with moments with Grayson where I'll think, oh my gosh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Or we have a puppy and I think about, oh, I need to get him out for even longer walks. He has so much energy. And then I find myself, you know, working and I'll be up until midnight or whatever it is. And I have to just keep reminding myself, find grace, Leslie, you, you know, it's okay. Like this is okay. You you're recognizing it, realizing it, and you can change it and make it better for, for another time, another day. So it's just finding that grace in ourselves is so important. And then reminding our teams and all of those around us, our family members and friends to try to do the same. Yeah. I love that. And I love that terminology, finding grace. I think that's spot on. Well, we are almost out of time, Nicole. This flew by and I have a couple rapid fire questions for you. They're not really fair to be rapid questions because they're pretty deep and we could talk for hours more on these. But if you're ready, we'll go ahead and move into that. All right, let's go for it. Okay. The first question for you, a turning point that changed your life forever. Oh gosh, that has to be marrying my husband, making that decision. I could definitely see that. I learned so much about you today in that early point in your life. I'm still just in awe, everything, the decisions you made before 29. And I could see where that one was definitely a big one. What is the single best piece of advice you've ever received? Someone told me years and years ago, and it I believe it strongly, and I lecture on it, is your network is equivalent to your net worth. And I'm not talking about LinkedIn or having thousands of contacts, but very strong connections that you make and contribute to, and they contribute back to you. And I see many, many executives, not only that we place, but that we work with that have incredible networks that, that help hold them up and mentor them. So I would say that for certain. I love that one. I agree wholeheartedly. Just did a webinar today on that topic. So thank you for reiterating that message today. If there was one thing you could change that would positively impact diversity within our own industry, and that could be talent, the recruiting industry or technology or both, what would it be? I would say that within the technology sector, that making sure that women and men are equally trained and given equal opportunities and equal encouragement. I find that oftentimes women are not encouraged, but discouraged to be in technology. And whether that be when they are hired into you know, their first jobs, making sure that there's courses there that are equally balanced. And, and I guess just that, I, I think equality is the biggest thing that I would say that would affect diversity. So not just thinking and talking about it, but acting it in everything that we do. I love that. Yes. What is one thing, I always get nervous asking this question because I have no idea what you're going to say, but what is one thing people would be surprised to find out about you? Oh gosh, uh, you're going to be very surprised by this, but I love rap music. <laughs> really? <laughs> I do. 
my kids I am a 20 year old and a 17 year old and they laugh and my husband of course he laughs as well but yes yes so that is one thing that I think people would guess about me and uh and think oh gosh I would never have thought of that so yes well we have a lot in common Nicole that's my go-to <laughs> workout music I remember seeing even too short easy e all kinds of concerts in high school yeah anyway I love that it's so much fun getting to know you better and just again finding all of the commonalities we have I bet other people feel the same way and are anxious to just learn even more. What is the best way to get in touch with you? Should people have more questions and simply want to connect? Sure. They are free to email me. I can give you my email address and, you know, we can set up, of course, a call or a dialogue if anyone were to have additional questions. Fantastic. Nicole, thank you so much again for joining us on the Edge podcast today. And thank you for what a difference you're making for so many people in our industry. I appreciate you. Oh, and thank you, Leslie. Thank you for having me on. This has been a pleasure. 